How's it going? It's fixing to be a lot better, man. Welcome to Dazed and Confused 33 and a Third. I'm Jarf, and I have a special treat for you this week. Our guest is author Catherine Averill Morris, who played Julie here in Dazed and Confused, of course, and along with her best-selling romance novels, co-authored Dare to be Kind, How Extraordinary Compassion Can Transform Our World with anti-bullying activist Lizzie Velasquez. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Hi, how's it going? It's going really good. Thanks for having me on. This is really fun. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Oh man, I've listened. Yeah, I've listened to a bunch of your episodes, and they're super fun. That's so awesome to hear. Thank you for listening, and thanks for making the world a better place oh. with romance and with compassion. So, of course, we're going to get into the dazed and confused of it all. But first, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your writing, maybe how you got started in romance, how you connected with Lizzie. Yeah, thanks for asking. I really feel like love and compassion are the most, and kindness are just the top most important things in the world and top most important things in my parenting of my three kids. And, you know, especially with the way the world seems to be right now, it's just more important than ever. I've wanted to be a romance author since I was a young feminist of 14. And I was railing against romance novels and saying how terrible they were for women. I was at my high school and I forget who it was. Somebody in the room said, have you ever actually read one? And I was like, no. So I figured I better, you know, put my money where my mouth was or whatever. And I read one and it was actually a really problematic one but I fell in love with it. And Mm. just my mom ended up, this was back in the, this was probably 1990. My mom found like a classified ad back in the newspaper, you know, back in those days of this woman out in the country who had something like a lot of 200 just random romance novels to sell. And so my mom came back home with a trunk load of just boxes of romances. And I just plowed through them all and needed more. And I've been obsessed ever since. And that was over 30 years ago. So my first one was published 2014, which seems not that long ago, but I recognize that was eight years ago. So, And what was your first one? It's called Marry Me Twice, and it's a small town contemporary romance. And then Lizzie and I connected just um, actually weirdly enough through a friend from high school who wound up working in Hollywood in various different capacities, kind of behind the scenes on big productions. And she ended up launching her own business, um, I think it's called Woman Rising or Women Rising. And Lizzie was sort of her first client and she sort of managed Mm. Lizzie's career for a while there. And when Lizzie wanted to write a memoir, it was kind of a memoir and kind of a self-help book. It sort of straddled the line, which made it sort of hard to sell to editors because for a while, nobody really knew how to market it or how to sell it. But Hachette ended up buying it. We had this amazing editor with Hachette. But yeah, when so this woman, Sarah, I guess, just kind of connected Lizzie with the only professional writer she knew, which happened. (laughs) (laughs) to be me but it turned into this really wonderful partnership I mean I hope I can speak for Lizzie too when I say we had this wonderful 15 month experience of working on that book together and it taught me so much sort of spiritually about the importance of kindness and the importance of you know the idea that hurt people hurt people Mm -hmm. I think that's one of Lizzie's kind of basic life understandings and so when someone 
lashes out, you shouldn't lash back. You should stop and say, hey, are you okay? You seem like you must be really hurting to have done that. And man, that's a lesson I needed to learn. So I'm really grateful to her for that. And I really loved working on that book with her. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. It's interesting to hear. It sounds like the way that you connected was almost random because it was through a friend and and it wasn't a field that you had worked in before specifically with the type of memoir that she was working on. Yeah. But it's great that you took a lot out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also enjoy the way that you talk about your own writing and that it it started from a feminist perspective. (laughs) Yeah. Well, once I learned that romances are all different for one thing. So some of them from, you know, I was reading books from that were published in the 80s and they a lot of them were problematic. You know, I won't get into it, but anybody that's read the genre knows what I'm talking about. But, you know, they're all different from each other. And I think there's a really strong feminist thread in terms of the stories being about women becoming really self-realized and getting exactly what they want in life. And usually that's not the romance. The romance is like the cherry on top of the cake, but the cake is going for whatever their self-realization is, their self-actualization, their career, you know, correcting the wrongs of their relationship with their parents or whatever it is, and you know, whatever the story is about. That's what, and I think that's hugely feminist. It's putting women at the center of the story and helping them find their voice. And a lot of my professional writing has actually been helping women find their voices. So you're right that I hadn't written in the particular genre that Lizzie and I did together, but a lot of my professional writing has actually been ghostwriting. And I wasn't super ghost with Lizzie because my name actually is on the cover with hers in little tiny letters, but it's on there. (laughs) But a lot of my writing has been for women, professional women who have companies who need a writer to kind of bring their voice and their vision to life in all different realms. I've done this. So for whatever reason, that's kind of been my professional life, um, aside from the romance writing for about 20 something years now. So it's been really interesting. And I kind of like the idea of being, um, lately I've been thinking of about it as some sort of idea midwife, like I'm helping them bring their creations into the world. Idea midwife. I don't know. I dig that. I don't know. I say that as someone who has had three babies with the assistance of a midwife at home. So, you know, I have some idea about what a midwife does. And I think like I'm kind of doing midwifery for people with their ideas. That's cool. That's cool. I dig that. I read the preview for Marry Me Twice. And maybe as like a segue to Dazed, one of the things that jumped right out is you compare one of the characters to a young Matthew McConaughey. And I just wondered, are there other are there other kind of dazed connections threaded through your romance novels, things that might be of particular interest to some of the days super fans that listen to this podcast? That is such a great question. And I have no good answer for that because I honestly did not even make that connection in my brain. But you're absolutely right. That's like in the first few pages or chapter. That's so interesting to me. He was so fun to work with on that movie. He was, um, I was 16 when we shot it and he was 22 and he was just, he had just graduated from UT. And he was only 22. Yeah, he was a baby. Yeah, and he, with the mustache and everything, I know. He, he, and he made that whole thing up. I don't know if you know about this. You know the way that Rick cast the film and the way he wrote it and everything. He was, um, he was sort of 
to whatever extent he was typecasting all the characters. So there was sort of a pretty extensive interview process that was the casting process. And then when he hired each actor, he told us from the start any changes that we wanted to make to our role to make it like if there were any lines in the script as he wrote them that didn't feel natural or that didn't seem to fit the character as we understood the character, he encouraged us to change it. And unfortunately, I was too young and inexperienced and dumb to do that. You know, I just followed the script really faithfully and I really, looking back, wish I'd had more knowledge and know-how around that. But man, on the opposite end of that spectrum was totally Matthew McConaughey because Wooderson, as the original script was written, was a tiny throwaway part. And then, you know, probably a lot's been written about this, that Matthew just took it and ran and turned it into this thing that Rick very quickly realized was like genius and he needed to capture it and he needed to let Matthew McConaughey just roll and improv as much as he wanted. And Matthew built this whole, you know, he built this whole sort of mystique around it and this whole character just kind of based on people he, you know, so I think it was some sort of amalgamation of different people he had known in his life and um, just they let the cameras roll and he just built, it was, I mean, that guy's a genius. And I think he's one of those actors that's too pretty to be respected as a genius, but he really mm. is. I mean, he's really smart. I think Brad Pitt's another, but anyway, that's a side note. Yeah, that's a side note. <laughs> It's a fair point, though. But that leads me to one of the questions that I wanted to ask about your own experience. So I wondered if there was a specific interaction that helped you get an idea of the character of Julie. Yeah, that's a good question, partly because the character of Julie, as Rick and I and other people on the crew sort of discussed Julie and conceptualized her, is completely different from the Julie that actually came out and was mm. ended up on the edited reel so it's kind of weird julie as we discussed her and as i understood her and was supposed to play her she was supposed to be sort of this femme fatale she was a sophomore mm. and it, the way that we had talked about her was that she had kind of already plowed through all the junior and senior guys and was looking for fresh meat and then in comes mitch and she was supposed to like kind of pounce on him like that was who she was supposed to be and I think I, I thought her vibe with pink was that they had hooked up at some point okay that's fascinating to me that you picked up on that because yes that was supposed to be the case and I never saw it come through when I've seen it on the screen I don't see that at all and the vibe with Mitch that I see is very almost like very almost maternal hmm. and kind like not sexy not pouncy femme fatale at all so I think it's kind of funny and I think that reason they there were multiple different reasons that a bunch of my scenes got edited out but I think part of it was just that the vibe that I had as a human being on camera just didn't that just wasn't it <laughs> so I think, and then it was a less you know they have to make all these hard decisions about what to cut you know and side stories mm -hmm. that they might love but that aren't germane they have to let them go so that was one of the ones that got let go plus there were other things that happened like one of my bigger scenes was in a this really cool car. I think it was a Ford Maverick and it was cherry red and I loved it, but I looked in and I was like, wait, is that a stick shift? I don't drive, I, don't, I can only drive automatic. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll get you a different car. We'll get you a different car. We're not going to shoot that scene for a few more weeks. We're good. It'll be fine. So then I get to the, you know, the set that night and they're like, here's your other, here's your new car. And I looked in and I was like, that's a stick shift. And they're like, oh no, okay, okay, let's go for it. So they took me for like a one hour driving lesson out on the streets of the neighborhood where we were. And there were these nice flat streets and I got it. I got it pretty good. We're like, okay, we can go shoot the scene now. We they go were back. teaching you to drive. Well, so I standard. knew how to drive, but yeah, I, I had never driven a standard transmission car before ever. 
right? Okay. So I got it down in that one hour lesson out on the streets with no pressure. The cameras are not rolling. But then when we're in, we're shooting the actual scene, they wanted me to start on an incline. It was like starting up this driveway into the burger joint. And they hold through the whole thing. Uh, They put sandbags behind the wheels. They did everything they could, but I could not. I was so nervous and flustered. I had like sweat running out of my armpits and off my face. And like my makeup was sheeting off of my face with sweat. There was a whole sea of extras that I just remember laughing openly at me. And basically I just like, stalled out like ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk around the thing, trying to do my lines. And I remember at the end of that scene, Rick came over to the window and he leans in on the window and he's like, okay, all right. And I was like, uh, so what do you think? <laughs> do you think you'll be able to do anything with that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll be able to piece something together. Yeah, yeah. And then of course they were not able to and that scene was done. And I, to my memory, you know, it's been a long time, but um, to my memory, that was one of the sort of scenes that kind of established Julie as that femme fatale character. And so that, so that was out the window. And then, yeah, it's kind of interesting how those things wind up, these little kind of mistakes, you know, wind up shaping the entire narrative. Julie as femme fatale, that is fascinating <laughs> to me. Yeah, it didn't come across. I did not do a good job showing her that way. I guess it just wasn't in me. I don't know. Anyway. I wanted to pick up on something you said earlier. So Linklater would say, okay, if you don't like your character, change it. Yep. And you said in hindsight, okay, you were too young to really think about changes you would advocate for. Looking back now, are there things that you would want to have just asked to do differently with Julie? (laughs) Yes. But some of them are ridiculous. Like yet another accident that shaped things in my brain. The first night I showed up on set that we had already gone through wardrobe weeks earlier, chosen that, you know, and it's all one night. So I was, I had one outfit I was going to wear for the entire seven weeks I was on set. And I got to the set that first night and I happened to be wearing a blue bra and it showed through the shirt that I was supposed to wear. And they were like, oh, okay, we'll find you a different bra. But the only one they had that was my size was um, that was the right color that didn't show through was a padded bra and they ended up switching the shirt and the bra to the shirt that I wore in the film that's kind of I don't know what that style is called but it's kind of gathered under the bust and then it flows out and now I think Mm -hmm. it's really pretty but at the time I thought it made me look pregnant and I, I was wearing this padded bra that they gave me and that made me look bigger and I just totally felt like this like and I was next to these LA actresses that were all very stick skinny and I was not and I was not fat at all like I can look at it Mm -hmm. now and see I was not fat but I was curvy like I've always been and I just felt uncomfortable and I remember the very last day of the shoot seven weeks later was the morning of my first day of my junior year of high school so like I'd been on set all night and then I finished at I don't know seven or eight that morning and was gonna go to school I remember going in the the wardrobe trailer and just ripping off that shirt and going I never have to wear it again and then I burst out crying because I realized oh I'm never gonna wear this shirt again it's over you know it was Mm. the saddest thing that long story to say I didn't know, because when I did that, when I ripped it off and was like, oh, I hate this shirt. They were all like, oh, you should have told us. We would have found you something else. And oh, I was no. like, no, the seven <laughs> weeks I've spent feeling like this, like, it's interesting. You know, I felt, I felt like I looked pregnant. I feel like I exuded this maternal energy that I wasn't supposed to have as that character. It's kind of funny that it all goes together in that same theme. So I wish I had spoken up for myself about that small, basically irrelevant thing 
but it would have changed my, I think my feeling of confidence, maybe just being on, on screen. And, um, a lot of my scenes that ended up in the movie were very passive scenes for me where I didn't have a lot to say. And I just kind of Mm. wish I had been smart enough to figure out something to say. I don't even know what it would have been. I don't know that I would have taken Julie in a particularly interesting or different direction, but I just wish I had been more present instead of, you know, passive and receptive. I wish I'd been more active. Yeah, if we could turn back time. You know, and 20 years after it was released, we had the 20-year reunion here in Austin. The film was inducted into the Texas Film Hall of Fame, and that was the first time I was able to watch that film and not feel critical of my performance or whatever, you know? And the first time I was able to watch it and be like, oh, that was okay, and I served, I did the job I was supposed to do. It was the first time I was able to watch it and feel pretty good about my part in it. I've always loved the movie, but I had always sort of cringed and like looked away when I was on screen, but finally, that was I guess that was 10 years ago. Finally, I was able to see it just for what it was. Like I was doing a job and I did okay and it was fine. It served its purpose. Yeah. I have always enjoyed the way that you played Julie because you played her so laid back and cool. And that has always made sense to me as kind of what Mitch would need to feel comfortable because he's now he's a freshman. He's He's in this completely different league. He's hanging out with upperclassmen. And so the fact that you just give this really relaxed vibe and when it gets awkward and they're talking about the fact that he just got swatted by the seniors and you have this line where he asks, oh, what were you talking about about me? And you say, I don't know, man, are you okay? And it's like, I get that you don't want to really talk that much about it so it's kind of like let's just kind of like smooth this over and let it be cool and and then when you see him at the moon tower you kind of like come up to him and like you know put your hands on his shoulders and so you're you know a little bit more aggressive but in kind of a like fun and playful flirty yeah yeah exactly and so I think that 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 just always kind of clicked for me oh thank you I like that reflection a lot thanks sure so I wanted to if we could get into a little bit more specifically about the theme that goes along with this track, Hey Baby. So it's the part of the Moon Tower where you get the confrontations with Mitch and the seniors. So Mitch is hanging out with Julie, and then the seniors call him over and they give him some advice, which it's an open question how good that advice is. And then there's also the confrontation between Tony and Sabrina and and Darla. And she's got to kind of bring it back to the hazing. And she tries to get Sabrina to do the, what Break is it called? Air raid. Yeah, air yeah, raid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so it's got those two things in parallel. So I was just kind of curious if there was a moment in that scene that spoke to you or triggered a memory for you. Not necessarily triggered a memory. That was one of the scenes that I didn't see it until the film came out. Mm. Um, you know, they they film everything out of order. It's all disjointed. You're on set for whatever you're on set for that night. You don't necessarily see what's actually being filmed. You might, or you might be in your trailer. You might be in makeup and wardrobe or whatever. So that was definitely one. And I remember being sort of shocked. I had read the whole script because I'd actually kind of been 
I moved next door to the people that became the locations and the wardrobe managers on that film. I just happened to move next door to them in ninth grade. And that's sort of what it was like a tumble of events and experiences and interactions that led to me getting the role that started with that. So I had read the script from early iterations and I had not read the entire script that we actually ended up shooting. And then also, like I said, a lot of people improvised anyway. So by the time it came out was when I saw the scene where, uh, Jason O. Smith and whoever come up to Wiley to Mitch and say, so you're going to be fucking that girl later? (laughs) And I was like, kind of shocked and taken aback. And it's one of those interesting things because I think what Rick was doing, you know, there's been some discussion about this. I know you spoke with Melissa Meritz, who wrote the really great book, All Right, All Right, All Right, an oral history of the making of Days to Confused. And she- Yes, love that book and and really enjoyed talking with her. Reading that book was such a sort of melancholy experience for me because it brought back a lot of so many memories and thoughts I had and feelings about it all um but one of the things that she I remember talking about with her when she interviewed me for that book was about that stuff about sort of the misogyny the misogynistic thread mm-hmm. and I remember her asking me like what did I think like what did I think Rick was doing and I really feel I, I love Rick like we haven't really kept in touch all these years but I do run into him around town every now and again maybe say every five years or so and it's always for me at least it always just feels like it always did like he feels like a family member to me or something and he was only 32 back then when we were shooting the film but yet he had sort of like a fatherly feeling to me and like Mm -hmm. he was definitely he knew there were shenanigans on set he knew we were all having a lot of fun but he was also really watching over us and was kind of trying to protect us and I absolutely think he was coming I think he was telling the story as it was supposed to be told like the story as he experienced it you know growing up in that environment like that's of course what the that high school boy would have said you know that football player who's used to be in the king of the high school and mm-hmm. used to get in all the girls and all that stuff so I don't think that came from Rick as far as any kind of he certainly doesn't think that's good or he's not advocating for it or anything but I think he was just showing the real things guys like that would say and think about you know and try to push on to a little freshman and get him to be with them in that corner so it's pretty interesting but yeah it was shocking to me when I saw when I saw that scene because I didn't know they said that like that was about me you know right (laughs) yeah that must have been a shock yeah and then also you know Wiley who played Mitch he and I had known each other for many 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 years by the time we were in that film together because our older sisters actually had been really good friends when we were in elementary school so Hmm. yeah so I feel like I I mean I feel like the first time I met him he was just a really little kid like five or six I was a couple of years older and then our sisters were two years older than me and so I probably did feel a little bit I don't know not maternal, but that's the wrong word, but big sisterly toward him and protective. And he was not like that. Like he wasn't a predator at all. Mm -hmm. And so, so it also just seemed out of place, like watching that scene, like, oh my God, but it wasn't Wiley. It was Mitch. It was the character that they're talking to. And he is a new initiate. He's a brand new freshman and they're initiating him to this like dude ring that they're in together. So it was, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And a lot of the movie, you see him trying on this new persona of freshman Mitch. And even though he's doing all these things that are big and scary for him, he's acting like it's totally natural. Like, oh, what's that you got? Oh, it's a sixer. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah, I just bought some beer. And, and, And then when you see him back at the Emporium, like, 
they really sold that to you? Like, oh yeah, of course, of course they did. I looked yeah. like a baby, but yes, of course they sold me this beer. So I like that. And, and I agree about Linklater including those kind of misogynist remarks. It doesn't seem to be that's coming from his heart. And so I, I look at it as portrayal is not endorsement. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. No, the guys were not meant to be jackasses. They were a product of their time and they were a product of their culture, the football culture and all that. So they're saying some jackass things and let's hope, you know, if there were a sequel set now, 30 years later, and those guys are grownups and their dads, maybe, and they're adults, maybe they would feel some regret about some of the things they did and <laughs> said back in high school. Let's hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Well, so I just got a pop-up warning from Zoom about the amount of time left. So I didn't want to wrap up without asking if they made a movie about your high school days, what song would play in your version of this scene? Oh, wow. Okay, so if it were from when we were actually shooting Dazed and Confused, it would be anything off the Pearl Jam 1 album or anything from Green Day. Um, nice. And the Pixies, those were the three bands I was listening to just nonstop, ninth and 10th grades. And we shot that film um, in the summer between my 10th and 11th grade years. So yeah, if I were one of the younger characters, that would be it. My senior year, I was into a lot of little tiny, I got more into the sort of punk rock and straight edge scene in Austin. And there were all these little bands that would travel through and they were at this place called Oakland House that was just down the block from where I, my house and um, would play shows. And it was like so much fun. I really look back on those days with so much funness, but they weren't bands that I don't think anybody would have heard of nowadays, but yeah. Is there someone that you want to mention just to give them a shout out? Yeah, there was an amazing band that I was in love with called Braid that was from the Champaign-Urbana area of Illinois. There were some really good bands out of that area. I'm trying to think of some others. I can't remember. Braid was, Braid was my favorite, but I don't remember the other ones. Fair enough. Yeah. Do you maybe remember like a favorite song mm. of Braids that oh. has kind of like a Gosh, Moon Tower Party vibe? Oh, no, they weren't like that. They were like um, kind of navel gazing, like emo punk band. They were not, they, they would okay. not have been at a beer bust. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they're for like hanging out in your room all by yourself or maybe with somebody that you're in love with, but you can't tell them because you're too afraid. um yeah let's see and same with like even Pearl Jam and I mean the Pixies those that music would have like anything off Doolittle or Surfer Rosa oh such great party music I love the Pixies I was just listening to them today with my nine-year-old and he loves them too I was like yes I'm doing one thing right as a parent (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yes, teaching them compassion and teaching them about the Pixies. Yes, and you know, the Pixies, I went to Hampshire College, which is in Amherst, Massachusetts, and it's connected with four other schools, including UMass Amherst, and that's where the Pixies all went, and that's where Hmm. they formed a band, and so one of their songs, I think, is called UMass, and it's the song that goes, it's educational, (laughs) (laughs) and we were like screaming that in the car today, and I was like, that's, okay, where do you want to go to college? I know you're nine, so you don't know yet, but where do you want to go to college? I really (laughs) wanted to choose to go to college in Western Massachusetts, so I have a reason to go back and visit there regularly, and I know we're 10 years out from that, but still, I'm setting, I'm planting the seeds. Yeah, you got to plant the seeds early. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, awesome. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to set this up and to talk with me tonight. Do you want to let folks know where they can either find you on social media or find more about your work? Oh, thank you. Um, I'm hardly ever on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I have an author page on Facebook, but honestly, weirdly enough, it's like um, pretty much all Daisy Confused fans. (laughs) (laughs) People who actually have read my books. My books are available on Amazon. I have eight contemporary romance novels out. Seven of them are full-length novels, and then one's a novella that's a Christmas novella that I really love called Her Sweetest Match, um, two different series. But on social media, I'm definitely findable on there under my name, Catherine Morris, but um, I'm not really actually on there. Like I don't really interact with people. That's, I'm, you reached out, I think, through Instagram. Am I remembering right? Actually, I was going to say, because I I found your contact information on your website. Okay, so that's probably what that's what it was. I couldn't that's remember. That's probably the best place for folks to go if they want to learn more just go to your website yeah it's katherineamorris.com or katherineaverillmorris.com works so yeah there you go yeah thank you so much for inviting me to do this this was super fun to dive back into those wonderful old memories for a little bit tonight cool i'm glad you enjoyed it because we are definitely thrilled that you could be here oh thanks so much sheriff i really really enjoyed it Not to worry, there's a new fiesta in the making. Join us at the Moon Tower, our Facebook listeners group. Until next time, just keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.